How's it going? This is Dr. Rob, the referral doc, coming to you on the Special Dentalist Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, we're going to be talking primarily to the general dentist today. So uh, we really focus on trying to make the specialist better, but also uh, this one, in helping the specialist get better, uh, we're going to talk to the general dentist about when the best time to refer. Now, I'm a general dentist. I've been practicing for 17 years. I've referred lots of patients. And I look back and I can see the ones where I really felt good about my choice of sending them on. And then I look at some that I chose not to send on at the right time. And boy, you know, I wish I could go back and do that over again. And, uh, you know, there is this kind of an inner battle with the general dentist as, as the patients come in, especially during this time where, where the finances may be struggling a little bit and we really want to, to keep a lot of the stuff in-house. It's difficult to send off that molar endo that we typically would be sending off um, normally when things are going good. But we think, oh, man, it's kind of right there on the border. I'm not sure if, if I should send them off or do it myself. Or, or, you know, wisdom teeth extractions. I've gotten in trouble a couple of times trying to, to do some wisdom teeth that, that were a little horizontal, a little too, too buried um, under the soft tissue, some bone, and, and uh, got inside and like, man, I wish I would have referred this out. It's just not worth the thousand bucks or whatever it was that, that I was trying to keep in-house. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult thing for a general dentist to be able to figure out, especially in the beginning where you don't have a lot of experience um, over time, as you get more experience, you're able to gauge and remember back to uh, some of those difficult circumstances and think, man, yeah, I wish I would have just referred this out and uh, in the beginning. Uh, some other things that that uh, we don't learn in the beginning is, I don't know, when I, was, when I first started out as a general, uh, my first few years, <clears throat> I, I felt like if I started something, I had to finish it. And, and I know that, that for the most part, that's a good rule of thumb. Uh, to to continue to go along and try to finish what you started. But a lot of times as you go along, things just continue to get worse and worse and worse. And, and you just wish you would have stopped uh, before. Um, you know, it, it reminds me, have you, have you ever had an experience where the, the harder you tried to, to, fix a, to fix a circumstance, it just got worse and worse and worse? Um, yeah, it reminded me, it reminds me of <clears throat> It reminds me of a time when I was 19 years old and I went up north to Canada for a couple of years and I was up there, um, I was in Fort Francis, Ontario next to this lake called Rainy Lake. And every day uh, me and my friend would drive by, we would look at, out at this lake and it was frozen during the winter time and they'd have these ice roads, these ice highways that would, that was kind of shortcuts that would cross over the lake that even diesels would drive on. It was uh, really crazy. It was something that I'd never seen before. And um, we'd take pictures of these these uh, these machines and, and different things that are driving across these roads. But, but I decided, uh, my friend and I decided we were going to take a picture and send it home and to show our friends and our family of our car out on the road. Uh, the only problem is, is that it was in April and we weren't, we didn't quite recognize that there was no other cars out onto the, on the lake at the time. And so uh, we were thinking, hey, this would be so much fun. Let's, let's take a car out there. So we found a place where a lot of other people had, had driven off in onto the ice. And we, had, we were in this little Chevy Cavalier and we drove off the snowbank. And right as soon as we got off the snowbank, we started getting stuck in the snow. And at that point, we should have started wondering, how are we going to get back up as, as soon as we get off onto, onto the ice? How are we going to get back up? But we weren't quite uh, old enough and didn't have enough, very much experience with a lot of these life lessons and and uh, kind of threw caution to the wind and wind and, and the reward of getting that picture out on the ice kind of outweighed the risk of, of the problems of getting back on. So we just continued to drive forward. And the further we got down this road closer to the lake, the less likely we could get back up. Well, we got out onto the lake 
um, safely and, and drove out onto the ice just fine. Uh, the ice was starting to crack underneath the car. And so we're realizing, oh man, we probably shouldn't be out here on this ice at this time of year. Um, but let's try and take a picture and get off. Well, we got back in the car and tried to get back up the road and we couldn't go anywhere. We were in two wheel drive. It was just too muddy, too snowy, couldn't get up. Uh, we were kind of in a place where there wasn't a lot of people. So we had to travel, we had to hike down the road to try to find this, some people. We found a lodge that had some college students on spring break and we recruited them to come out and try to help push us. Um, where there was like six or seven of us and we just couldn't get it up the bank. And so at that time, um, we had a decision to make. Uh, should we call for some help? Uh, maybe get a, a tow rope uh, with a, a tow truck to pull us up and, or should we do something else? And, and our, our pride kind of kicked in and we thought, well, we can get ourselves out of this mess. So rather than calling um, our leaders or calling um, uh, help, we decided to just go ahead and try to get off on our own. So these guys told us that there was a entrance to the highway just around the bend. It was probably a, a couple of miles, but in order to get there, we had to drive on the lake. And the, the problem is, is already cracking around our car at this time, but we felt kind of trapped. And so, you know, we took a bad situation and made it worse by jumping in our car and deciding, okay, we're going to head, head across this thing. So we started driving and as we drove, we just had these big cracks and just boom, crash, we're coming underneath the car. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, I'm telling you, being out on the ice is one of the scariest things ever when it's cracking all around you. And, and uh, it just has this echo and this deep, deep echo of boom. And it just, you feel like you're going to go through at any time. Uh, part of the other problem is that they have these slush pockets where the ice was melting on top. So it looked like, uh, you know, you'd be going through a little bit of slush on top. And then all of a sudden you'd hit this hole and it'd feel like your whole car is just going down. But then you'd hit uh, the bottom layer of the ice and pot your car would pop back up. We decided that in order to go the, um, over to this place, we had to really kick it in high gear and go as fast as we could. So we opened the doors, rolled down the windows and took our seatbelts off. And I told my buddy Brower, I said, Hey man, just punch it. Let's go as fast as we can. So we started flying across this lake as fast as we could. Ice was uh, breaking all around us. We were going bouncing into these slush pockets and uh, honestly, I, I've never been in a position up into that time where I'd felt like my life was probably going to end. It was a really, really horrible experience. Anyway, we were flying across this thing. Uh, we could see the the exit of this lake uh, where we could get off. And uh, as we got closer, we realized that at this part, the sun had been hitting it and the ice had, had receded away from, from uh, the shoreline by about 15 feet. And we didn't know exactly how deep it was at that point. All we knew is that we had about 15 feet of water that we had to cross. And uh, so, again, we could have stopped our car and made a phone call, uh, assessed the situation. But because we want our pride kind of got in the way, we we're just like, let's just do it. So we floored it. We we uh, put it, we probably had 100 miles an hour when we hit that water and hydroplaned. And, and then our, our car dove down into the water. Uh, the water came splashing up over the hood. Uh, we smashed into the into the ramp uh, <laughs> and our car uh, kind of bounced up onto the onto the shore and, and man we really hammered that car uh, during that experience but boy I'll tell you we've never been more excited to get out of the car and and hit dry land both of us laid down on the ground and we're kissing the ground and saying prayers of thanks and oh my goodness we we really felt uh, super blessed uh, and lucky that we made it out alive and, uh, you know, I just think of that experience and, and just as I think about um, these experiences we have in life where there's multiple places that we can turn around. We can turn around in the beginning when we notice, oh, man, this is not looking good. 
but it just seems like the further we get in, the, the more difficult it is to turn around. Um, the more damage is caused to the patient, uh, the more struggle and embarrassing it is um, to when we have to go to the specialist. So, um, you know, when we, we, when we uh, jump into something, which happens, you know, we try to be proactive. We try to anticipate. Uh, obviously, now when I see that experience and I see, okay, it's April, um, I don't want to drive my car out onto the ice because of that experience then I can anticipate that and I can, um, you know, send those patients on because I've experienced a negative situation and, and trying to get those wisdom teeth out or that molar, molar endo um, when it was a difficult scenario. Um, but sometimes we feel, we, we feel a little more optimistic. We're feeling good. Um, we don't really see the signs early and we find ourselves off the road into the deep mud or into the deep snow. And so there comes the choice to react early or to react late to try to get ourselves out. Now, um, it is kind of tricky because what, you know, 90% of the times we can continue to um, work through it and end up get ourselves out. I mean, every time we get in a tough spot, we can't just, oh, we'll send them to a specialist. So it is kind of a fine line of, of when you, when is the good time to, to send it off. And the best, the best thing, the best advice that I can give is to listen to your inner voice. Um, because that, that's the best way. That's, that's the best, uh, test that you can run. Um, and, and then also think about why you want to continue forward. If it's, if, if you want to continue forward because of the money or you, I don't know, you, you're too embarrassed, that type of a thing. Those aren't good examples of, of why you should continue to, to move forward. But yeah, listen to yourself. I mean, there's just times where, um, I, I'm looking at this child in my chair and they're just screaming their head off and I haven't even touched them. And boy, you know, that, that inner voice is going, you know, get this kid out of here, <laughs> send him to Pete Adonis. So um, yeah, that was, that's kind of an easier decision, right? But uh, you know, there's other times where we're in the middle of something and our pride gets in the way and our inner voice is going off going, you know what, refer this guy out, call an oral surgeon or call a periodontist, call somebody, an endodontist, get their opinion about it at least. Um, but we're just, our pride is just like, no, I can do it myself. And we're not listening to that, that inner voice saying, dude, send this off. And uh, I have an experience uh, like that where I just was not listening, I was not giving heed to that, that voice inside saying, man, send that off. Uh, I had this patient come in. I did this implant on number nine and uh, being a cosmetic dentist, I did a lot of these. So I was experienced with it. Um, the problem was, is that as the particular implant that I was using, Noble BioCare at the time had this design that was more of a triangular interface engagement for, um, uh, for the torque wrench. And so it left some really weak spots uh, where that triangle where that triangle hit the outside. And so as I was torquing it down, um, it ended up causing, it started, you know, I wasn't quite to the depth that I wanted to have it torqued in. And I applied, I guess, a little too much pressure, but honestly, it wasn't that much. That's why they changed the design, honestly, um, was probably because they had a lot of this. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, it ended up causing a little micro fracture uh, right there on the, the top of the implant. And uh, looking back, I wish I would have just restored it just like that with that little with that little micro fracture and, you know, I was concerned about, Oh, you know, I didn't want a bacteria and, and different things in that little crack, but, but I tried to back it up, back the implant out, but I torqued it in tight enough to where it wasn't coming out. Uh, and in fact, when I was trying to get it out, uh, it was making that crack in the implant. Um, it just made it even worse and opened it up more. And so at that point I thought, you know, I need to call somebody and, and see what to do. But, but then I'm like, no, I can do this myself. So I was ignoring, um, you know, that, that feeling that I was feeling. 
so I, I cut a little slot down inside the implant so that I could maybe put in a screwdriver, a flathead screwdriver, and that would give me a little more torque to, to unscrew this implant. Um, but yeah, all I ended up doing was just kind of mutilating the implant on the inside. Now it's completely not restorable and uh, it wasn't budging, it wasn't coming out. So here I am at this point where I'm trying to make a decision. At this point, I'm kind of feeling like I'm out in the middle of the lake um, on this ice. It's cracking all around me. It's not a good scenario. <clears throat> I made a bad thing worse. And rather than calling it quits right there, I'm, I'm still continuing to move forward. Um, I, I decided that I would get some help. So that was a good thing. I decided to talk to a colleague of mine. The only problem was is that the colleague that I got advice from um, was just another general dentist who was very qualified and skilled what he did, but, but when he hadn't experienced anything like this, he just kind of gave me an idea. And rather than running it past somebody who actually knew, I just decided to give it a try. You know, he said uh, that he had heard of a friend that had electrosurgery implant around the implant and it ended up killing off the bone. And that implant just came out super easy after about a week after the bone had kind of died around the implant. Um, the problem was, is that I didn't have very much information about it. I didn't know how long to uh, put the electrosurge on the implant. I don't even, you know, I just, it was just kind of a hearsay type of a thing. So I made the poor decision of just a Hail Mary and, and trying this. So I, I went and put the electrosurge on the implant and uh, I didn't know how long to put it on. And before I knew it, you know, the, the implant had heated up so bad that it ended up pretty much dissolving the buckle plate um, of this beautiful lady's um, number right above uh, uh, number nine. And I was just, you know, it's, it's a humiliating story. And I know that um, all, all of us dentists have experiences like that where we wish, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. That's just uh, a really poor decision. Um, wonderful lady ended up referring her to a periodontist, um, an, an oral surgeon to extract the implant, which was a really difficult experience for the oral surgeon and the lady. Um, and then, so I put, put that oral surgeon in a difficult situation where he had to kind of clean up a really bad mess. And then at that point, I had her go to a periodontist, and it took five different surgeries over the course of a year and a half to end up doing the bone graft, get the bone graft back to where just a bridge would actually look good in that place. So it was a really, um, it was a really poor decision on my part. I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but it was it was just one, you know, kind of a poor decision that wasn't really my a thing that happened that really wasn't my fault. It was a fault in the implant. Um, but then it, I just I made the wrong decisions and I didn't back out. I didn't call for help enough. And then I made the mistake of just giving something a try uh, without reaching out to a specialist that had been in that situation before. So, <clears throat> you know, basically uh, the takeaways I'd like to have on this podcast for, for general dentists is to really, to really think about the patient first. You know, if you're thinking about your reward of possibly making some money off of it, or maybe some pride, a lot of times I have patients and uh, friends and family that, that try to talk me into doing stuff that's a little uncomfortable for me because they, you know, they get a discount because they're my family or friends and I get talked into things that I shouldn't. Um, so, so yeah, whatever, whatever the reason is, <clears throat> listen to that inner voice when it says to refer, uh, don't think twice, even if it, you've started something, uh, you started looking for the MB2 on a, a root canal, you're not, you're struggling to find it. Some of the canals are a little difficult rather than keep on trying to negotiate them and get bigger and bigger files and, and just hammering the, those canals, making it almost impossible for the endodontist to, <clears throat> to finish that root canal for you. Uh, you just need to stop. You need to stop and, and make that call 
to them to get their advice and maybe send the patient down. So in closing, yeah, I'd like to just uh, recommend for us general dentists to really take a look at, at when we refer and make sure that we're referring uh, properly to these specialists. And I'd like to do a little shout out to my specialists that I refer to, and I want to thank them for all the times that they've helped bail, bail me out and, and treat great my patients great, giving them great service. Um, there's There's been quite a few times where um, the specialists that I've called and reached out to have got the patient right in uh, immediately. They didn't make me or the patient wait a week. They fit them in. They pushed back their lunch schedule, and they took care of my patient. And I'll tell you what, uh, those things make me a referring partner forever. So uh, hopefully this is a good podcast for you guys and helping you think about when you're when to refer. And please, whatever you do, don't drag your car out onto the ice in the middle of April. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, join me next week where we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about an interview. Uh, join me next week where I'm going to share an interview that I had with some specialists and a, a specialist consultant about what's going on with COVID-19, how it's affecting them in their practice. We're going to talk about some ways that they can actually be proactive in building those relationships with general dentists um, while everybody has a lot of time on their hands. So, um, Good luck. We'll talk to you later. Thanks.